0: Thanks, yeah. <laughs> uh, appreciate the let's go, too. That gets, that gets me pumped up, so I hope that gets you pumped up. All right. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into the sermon. Father, Lord, we just praise you. We glorify your name. Lord, we thank you for bringing us here to, as a church family to gather, to, to worship you, to learn, to grow, and, Lord, to just demonstrate how we exist in community with one another, to demonstrate our love for one another, that the world might know that we are your followers, Jesus, and that you truly are the Messiah and the Son of God. So, Lord, would you just be in our midst and move among us, Lord, would your spirit reveal the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, as Tia said, our campaign is called A La Carte Christianity, and we've got a handful of weeks left, I believe four weeks left in in this campaign, including this one, and then we're going to jump into our conference week. So... We've got a few more, few more messages on this. The a la carte Christianity idea is simply that we tend to approach our Christian faith like an a la carte menu. So instead of ordering up everything that comes with the Christian faith and with following Jesus, uh, all of the, what Jesus said and the way he lived and what he represented, we tend to approach Scripture, the Gospels, Jesus' teachings, the words of the apostles, etc., like an a la carte menu. As we read it, we see a couple of things that we like and we say, I'll take those, I'll adopt those, I like those, I can do those. And then we see things that are challenging or hard and we're like, ah, I don't know, I'm gonna leave those there or just ignore them completely. But instead, Jesus called us to this all-in approach as we talked about in the first week, how he called us to pick up our cross, take up our cross daily and follow him. He says, if we lose our life for him, we'll find it. What he means is that if we surrender all of ourselves to him, we'll find true life, even if it means losing our life, as many in the first century did, as most of his apostles and disciples did. They lost their life following Jesus, but in doing so, they found true fullness of life, just as Jesus promised. And so, it's not up to us to approach Christianity from this a la carte menu approach. We don't just pick and choose, we're all in or we're not in with Jesus at all. So a few weeks ago, I'm going to kind of continue on this idea that I started a few weeks ago before Easter. We started talking about self-righteousness, how we often like to order up some self-righteousness with our salvation by grace alone through faith theology. And if we do that, then we tend to focus and emphasize too much on works. And we decided, or we saw in scripture that our salvation is by grace alone through faith in Jesus, and our works don't contribute to that, right? It's, it's solely by Christ's work on the cross that we are saved. So today we're going to look at the other side of that coin, though. We're going to ask the question of, like, what, what about good works then? What about obedience to the words of Jesus? Where do those come in to play? What's their proper place in the Christian faith? And in my experience as a pastor, I think there's a lot of kind of fuzzy theology around this. We have this idea of saved by grace through faith, but then we kind of just push this obedience piece to the side and either ignore it completely or we emphasize it too much. Apparently this was a pretty big debate back in like the 80s, 90s. Uh, I, was, I was too young <laughs> at that point to really participate in the debate. Uh <laughs> I was not so concerned with theological issues because I was I was what thirteen in two thousand? Oh my goodness. Okay. So yeah, this the <laughs> and in junior high, uh I was just more concerned with getting girls to like me. And failing miserably. Um for junior hires in here, there's hope. You mature past it and like the awkward, the awkward goes away. Maybe into your 20s, but it goes away eventually. <laughs> All right. So the, the debate was phrased around the terminology of like lordship salvation, as they call it. So can we be saved and not have Jesus as our Lord? was kind of the, the framing of the question. Uh, easy believism is how it was framed as well. This, of course is not a new conversation this is a conversation that has been going on since the first century okay <laughs> it's been going on in the letter of paul to the romans he uh, he even talks about this he in chapters 5 and 6 especially he talks about like should we just go on sinning since we're saved by grace right and his answer is essentially No, that is not who you are anymore. That if you are saved by the grace of God in Jesus, you have been totally changed and transformed, and you're in this process of sanctification. So no, you can't go on sinning anymore. But it's not this like strict, hard, legalistic line. It's like, that just isn't who you are anymore. You've been changed. You've been made new. So we live in our new identity in Christ, and that is in obedience to Jesus. If we go through church history, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he talked about it as being cheap, grace in the 1940s and 50s. Martin Luther, when he uncovered the truth of the gospel, salvation by grace alone through faith in the book of Romans, when he uncovered that and started preaching and teaching on that, the Catholic theologians of his day in the 16th century challenged him by saying, well, now people are just going to live licentious lifestyles. They're just going to go on sinning and whatever. And essentially his answer is like, Pragmatic, pragmatics isn't the approach. <laughs> we're after what's true. What is true according to Scripture? So we decide that, and then we, we live in that. It's not, what do we think will work? What do we think will keep people in line? That's not the approach. And when the church starts thinking, how do we keep people in line? We get into big problems, right? Because that's not the question. The question is, what is true according to Scripture? So that's what we're after. What does Scripture say, and what is true? Of course, we usually don't frame the question like this. How many of you guys have asked yourself, I don't know what I think about lordship salvation in the last couple weeks, right? Nobody frames the question quite like that. So instead, it just kind of exists as these fuzzy concepts of knowing that I'm saved by grace through faith, and we either don't want to think about what about obedience, what about works, we don't even like the term obedience. So we're like, ah, I'm just going to not really touch that. Let's just leave it alone. I'm going to live my life the way I want to. That's kind of how it goes. And so what we do is we order up a little salvation by grace alone through faith alone, and then just leave obedience to the commands of Jesus and Scripture on the table, right? And oftentimes, this comes up, at least in my experience, this comes up for, for many young Christians especially around the issue of sex and sexual ethics, right? Like, that's where the rubber really meets the road for a lot of young Christians. It's like, this is just to help, like, clarify what I'm talking about with all of this, okay? Because as I'm talking about these fuzzy concepts of like salvation by grace alone through faith and lordship and obedience to Jesus, they are like, oh yeah, okay. But like where the rubber meets the road and the practical application is for young people who are like, you know what, I get the don't lie thing. I get a lot of the moral ethics and moral teachings in scripture, like don't do those. Cool. But then when sexual ethics comes onto the table, then it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> don't, don't step on my freedom scripture. I don't want to obey that right? We don't want to, and so then we come up with justifications and ways around it. So, in my experience, it almost always revolves around this topic of conversation. In fact, I was getting my hair cut a while ago, and my normal stylist uh, was on maternity leave, and so I had somebody else cutting my hair, and I just met this person, right? And I told her I was a pastor, and we got to chatting, as I always do. I'm very chatty when I'm getting my hair cut. And so we're talking. And she, yeah, so she knows that I'm a pastor, and so I asked her if she goes to church anywhere. And she essentially said, no, we don't go to church anymore, because we were at this former church, and my boyfriend and I moved in together. The pastor talked to us about it. We didn't like what he had to say, so we didn't go to church anymore. And then she just asked me straight up, she's like, so what, how would you approach the situation? How would you have approached this conversation? And <laughs> it's a good question. My first thought was, like, let's finish my haircut, all right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to come out looking like Lloyd from Dumb and Dumber, because you don't like what I had to say. Uh, but I decided I'm going to like trust in her professionalism, and prayed a quick prayer to myself, and said, all right, let's, let's dive into this. And so, uh, fortunately, I didn't bring notes to the conversation, but I kind of talked through a little bit about what we're going to talk about today. And so much of the conversation revolves around, like, how do we perceive God? Who is God? Is he our loving Heavenly Father who has given us rules that are good for our human flourishing to live in the abundant life of Christ? Or uh, do we view God as kind of this, like, malicious, mean dictator who just wants to control us for his own benefit? That's at the heart of it, and it's huge, how we perceive of God's rules. So anyways... We had the conversation, and I don't, know, I don't know how it went, but it almost always revolves around these questions, right? Of why should we obey God? And in former uh, ages of the church, we've tried, we tried to overemphasize sexual ethics and say this sin is way worse than others, and that's not right either. And that led to a lot of bad theology as well, a lot of bad thinking, a lot of hurt uh, on the part of a lot of young people who have since walked away from the church. We keep hearing stories again and again. So that's not the answer. The answer, again, is not what do we think will work, what do we think will keep young people in line from experiencing bad uh, things that we know might be bad results of sin or bad decisions. That's not the question. The question is, what does Scripture say and what is true? Okay, so we're not after what works, we're after what is true, all right? So, that's not the answer. Just, like, forgetting what Scripture says and not talking about obedience at all, that's not the answer either. So, let's just see what Scripture has to say. And we're going to frame it in this broader, bigger concept of the place of obedience in the Christian life. Okay. So, we're not even talking about specifically obeying the hard commands of Jesus. We need to take a step back to the reason why we should obey because I think that's the question most people are asking in the church today, and they might not know it, but that's, that's the bad theology or the fuzzy theology underlining a lot of our malpractice in the church, is what is the place of obedience if we're saved by grace alone through faith? Well, Jesus talked about it. You may, if you're not super familiar with the words of Jesus, you may be kind of surprised to hear Jesus say things like this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, because we tend to have this concept if you're loosely familiar with theology and the Christian faith tend to have this idea of like uh, God the Father is like law and justice old testament Jesus is all love and mercy new testament we we create these false dichotomies in our head about father and Jesus whereas in reality as we read scripture Jesus is all about law and justice and grace and mercy God the Father is all about law and justice and grace and mercy. <laughs> the, the character of God is consistent between all th- three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Jesus here says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. <sighs> doesn't, doesn't get much more plain and simple than that, does it? Like, if, if you love me, he says, this is just what you will do. Okay, so as we're talking about the proper place of obedience in the Christian life, it's a result of loving Jesus, is what he says. It's this, like, necessary result in the Christian life. That if you love Jesus, you will keep his commands. That is what will happen. Okay. This isn't an this isn't imperative. This is just a, a future. It's a result. This is what you will do, Jesus says. This is in his farewell discourse. He talks about obedience a lot in his last conversation with his disciples before he goes to the cross. It's clearly something that's very important to him. So John 14, 21, he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Again, reiterating this same idea. If you know my commandments, what I have told you, and you keep them, it reveals that you love me. So it's evidence. It reveals the love that we have for Jesus. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him, he goes on to say. First 1 John 2, So John, who wrote the Gospel of John, also wrote an epistle to the church. Uh, In 1 John 2, verse 3, he writes, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Okay, so again, our obedience to Jesus is a result of this new life and this love that we have for him. It's now who we are in Jesus if we fast forward a couple of verses, he says, But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So if we say we are living in Christ, if we're abiding in Christ, if we're Christians following Jesus, then our life will look more like Jesus' life. We'll continue to obey his commands, his teaching, and his way. So, very simply, obedience is a result of our love for Jesus. This is one of our two big ideas today. So, it's not to earn God's favor. We don't obey God to earn his favor. He has given us his favor, he has produced love within us. He has accepted us, he has adopted us into his family, saved us, redeemed us in Jesus, and then now we obey because of this new life that we have in him. It's a result. And as John points to in his epistle, it is a evidence that you are indeed in Christ if you have this desire to obey him. And we're not going to do so perfectly, but it will be a consistent trend towards obedience to Jesus. The longing will be there, the desire will be there, and we will continue to obey him more and more throughout our life with him. That is a part of spiritual growth and formation, is learning to obey the commands of Jesus and submit to those. Okay, it's not all Jesus said on it, though. <laughs> he said a good bit more. He says <clears throat> in John fifteen ten through 11, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, this is the key, don't, don't miss this. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Okay, we don't think of commands as producing joy. We don't think of as obedience as producing joy in us. But, again, going back to what I said earlier, if God is our loving Heavenly Father, who has given us commands, who has given us rules, like any good parent gives their children to keep them safe, right? if God has given us commands and rules of how to live to promote our human flourishing, because this is the best way to live and be human, is within the structure of God's laws, that's a good thing. And so when we live in the way that God has called us to, it produces joy. So Jesus says, hey, guys, I'm telling you to obey my teachings, not because I'm some, like, cruel, harsh dictator who just wants to control and rule over you and exercise my dominance over you. No, it's because I want you to have the same joy that only I have, and I want to give it to you but a part of it is living in this life that I've told you how to live. And so far from this concept of like, my parents just want to control me, right? We need to mature out of that (laughs) to viewing the rules that God has for us as for our good so that we might have Jesus' joy. Psalm 119, the psalmist writes, I will delight in your statutes. When was the last time you said that about rules? Verse 20 says, My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. <laughs> uh, imagine Americans saying that, right? It's like. <laughs> but what the psalmist knows, okay. So if God is the creator of the universe, right, the psalmist knows that in the law of God. The creator of the universe is telling us how to live in line with the way the universe has been created. And so we're not left wandering, wondering, okay, what's the best way to live? Like, what is the right thing to do in these situations? No, He's so overjoyed because God revealed this to him. <laughs> like, who, who would know how to live in this world? Like, I've lived 35 years, okay? When it comes to, like, knowing the right thing to do in every situation and being super wise, like... I don't know. Like That's why I have to read other people, talk to older people. And then when we come to Scripture, we're talking to the creator of the universe who is eternally existent. Right? If anybody would know, God would know. And so when we see his rules, we can be like, oh, great, finally, somebody's told me how to live. So I don't have to figure it out through trial and error, failure, and hurt and harm causing myself and others. I can joyfully... Submit to God's rules, right? Okay. Luke 6. One more section here. Kind of going at the same idea. Sorry, I'm kind of bouncing around a few different places here. But this, this line of Jesus, I think, just jumps off the page from the first century to us today. And, oh, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you? <laughs> Again, this may not compute with some of your perceptions of Jesus, that Jesus actually said this. Jesus is like, hey, if you guys are calling me Lord and you don't do what I tell you, then I'm not your Lord. That's not the definition of Lord. <laughs> Lord is somebody who has authority over your life, who can tell you what to do, and you obey. Right? So if Jesus isn't your Lord, then... Or, I should say it like this. If you're not obeying Jesus, he's not your Lord. Plain and simple, is what Jesus is saying here. And so, for the American Christian, if Jesus doesn't have authority over your life, again, he's not your Lord. Instead, we tend to think of Jesus more as like our therapist. He's here to comfort me. He's here to, I can talk to him about my hurts and my feelings and all this stuff, and yes, you can, and but a therapist, they can give you advice and you can choose not to take it, right? You can be like, ah, cool, thanks. I'll see you next week and I'll pay you again. It's different, different relationship, right? Than a Lord. I tend to think of Jesus often as like our genie in the bottle. Like, I'll pray when I get in trouble <laughs> and I need you to get me out of it. Like whether it's bad decisions of my own doing or like I'm sick or I just need help. Then I'll come and seek you, Jesus, and pray for a miracle, He's not your Lord, he's your genie in a bottle. Or Jesus is like the key to our social circle. It's like, man, all my friends are at church, and uh, I got to go listen to this Jesus, talk about Jesus every week, but I want to hang out with pe- people that I like. <laughs> he's not your Lord, then. He's the key to your social circle. Some of us think of Jesus as like our life coach. Again, we can, we're free to take advice from our life coach or leave it not your Lord. He's here to help me be a better me. You are the center of authority, as we've been seeing again and again. Not him. If he's your Lord, he's he's the authority in your life. So what he says, we obey. Or similarly, just a teacher who's like said some good stuff, like I can read his book and take what I want and leave what I don't, right? But again, he's not your Lord, if that's the case. So we could just stay here and like just meditate on this for a day or two or a month. Like, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you? <laughs> it's a good question. Then Jesus goes on to say, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words, this is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Luke's account of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Okay, so what Jesus is talking about here is if you hear his words and believe them and obey them and put them into practice, then he's not saying everything will go well with your life. He's not saying you'll have an easy life and everything will be great and easy. You'll just live in leisureville and cruise to the end of (laughs) a luxurious, easy life. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying even though the storms come, right, the storms still come in Jesus' little parable here, but your inner life will be so rooted and grounded and the foundation will be so strong that you won't cave in. You can still have peace in the midst of tumultuous circumstances at work or in your family life. You can still have hope when you look at the world and you're like, man, things are bad. But you can still have hope. If we obey the ways of Jesus, your inner life can weather the storms of this world. And obedience to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount means viewing your life in Jesus' definition of the blessed life, not your definition of the blessed life, which is the Beatitudes. Jesus said, blessed are the poor. We don't think of God's blessing like that, do we? (laughs) We think of God's blessing as in wealth and prosperity. But the Jesus way of a blessed life is poverty. (laughs) Poverty. It says, blessed are those who, who are persecuted for him. The Jesus way of living in obedience to him is loving your enemies, even your political enemies. Jesus was talking about people who were literally going to kill him. <laughs> we're talking about people who disagree with us about what we should do. Jesus says the blessed life or the way to follow him in obedience to him is to give to those who beg from you and don't turn them away. He says to give without expecting anything in return. It's not judging others in the Sermon on the Mount. It's forgiving and not seeking to take vengeance. And so, band, you guys can come and get set up here. Obedience to the teaching of Jesus is wisdom, is what he's saying. (laughs) Again, the storms of life will come, but if you have put his teachings into practice and you are obeying them, it's just wise The storms will come, but your inner life will be solid still. It won't be washed away. And it is the path to living abundant life. Jesus taught us how to live so that we would experience his joy. So that we would have his joy. Again, far from somebody who just wants to control us. In Jesus, we have somebody who wants to give us joy and abundant life. And it's found only in him. And the more we learn to obey his commands and his teachings, the more we will find that peace. The more we will find that abundant life that Jesus has called us to. And if anybody would know, it is the word who was with God at the beginning, who through him all things were made. Nothing was made without him, as John says right in the beginning of his gospel. Jesus knows the way to abundant life. And we can trust in him. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word that reveals the truth of who you are so that, Lord, we can rejoice in your rules. We can rejoice in your laws. Jesus, we trust that you have our best interest at heart when you gave us your commands. And so, Lord, out of love for you, because we love you, we want to obey you. And we trust that, Lord, you are good and your commands are for our good. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing praises to our Savior together. If you guys need prayer while we're singing, there's prayer available for you in the back. Just head back there anytime. Yes, Lord, as we are just singing, that's our heart's cry, is to lay down everything and to surrender to you, Lord, to give you all of who we are. Jesus, it is our declaration right now in our heart that we're all in with you. Lord, we're surrendering everything to follow you, Jesus we believe that you are true, that you are good, that you are the path to life, not just life after death, but true, abundant life now is found in obedience to your way, Jesus. So we surrender to you as Lord and declare, Lord, we don't always know what's best for ourselves, but we trust you as our loving Heavenly Father, as our Savior who died to redeem us and to set us free from our sin. You are trustworthy, Lord. So we trust you with all of our life. So in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat for a few minutes. Our first big idea of two (laughs) is obedience is a result of our love for Jesus. Obedience to the ways of Jesus is produced in us when we love him. It's evidence of our love for him, as John indicates and Jesus says in his farewell discourse. So as we begin to apply this text, if you find in your life that you're struggling to obey the way of Jesus, if you're struggling to obey the teachings of Jesus... The answer isn't to say like, oh, I just need to muster up more willpower in and of myself to obey. <laughs> That's not it. I think all of the gospel points us back to something different and points us back to the question of, do I really love Jesus? Like, do, do, I, do I love him? Because as Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And so it drives us back to that question of, do we really love him? So follow me, follow me on this train of thought here as we go. Okay. As we're asking ourselves, do we really love Jesus? Loving God can be kind of another one of those fluffy, difficult concepts to kind of nail down and put our finger on. So John says in 1 John chapter 5, like, if you love your brothers and sisters in Christ, is how we love God. (laughs) Jesus says, even in the Sermon on the Mount, if you're going to offer your gift at the temple and there realize that your brother has something against you, leave your gift. Go be made right with them, and then coming off of your gift. Essentially what he's saying is love of people (laughs) and our relationships with one another is not so far disconnected from loving and worshiping God, as we might think. So, how will you love the people sitting next to you? Do you look at them, and like Jesus, as Jesus' example of love others as I have loved you, are you willing to lay down your rights and your privileges for them? out of love for them? That's that's a question that can get at, do we love God? Do we love Jesus? And say, how much do I love the people sitting next to me in the church? (laughs) It's a good question to foster that. And then, next, John tells us that we love God because he first loved us. (laughs) So we need to reflect more on the love of God for us, Right? I don't think that we can just muster this love even in and of ourselves. What's the first of the fruit of the Spirit? Love. Right. So, it is when the Spirit of God changes you. Remember, we're not being right, we're not obeying the ways of Jesus to please God. No, God has given you his righteousness in Christ. That transaction has already happened. Now, we obey out of love him. And so again, it's not a try harder thing. It's a spirit of God, help me <laughs> produce the love of Jesus in me for my brothers and sisters in Christ and for you ultimately. Because we can't muster this up ourselves. So if you find yourself struggling to obey him, that's what you do. You get, Follow this train of thought. Am I loving the people next to me? Is that evidence of how I love Jesus? And if you find you're struggling, really seek the Spirit of God. Say, Spirit of God, produce this in me, please, because I can't on my own. I need you. I need your grace and your mercy to produce this love within me because it is supernatural how the church is supposed to love one another and how Jesus has loved us. Next, obedience to the teachings of Jesus is just wisdom, meaning... It applies to the reality of creation in the world around us, right and the path to living abundant life. When we s- live a life of disobedience to the ways of Jesus, essentially what we're saying and nobody says this, right it's way more subtle than this, but essentially what we're saying is, "I know better than you, Jesus." <laughs> I know how to live better than you do. <laughs> The audacity, right, of saying that to the God of the universe, of saying that to Jesus, who we just celebrated last week, who hung on the cross and died to redeem you from your sins and to save you when you could not save yourself, and who rose again to prove that he is truly God and abundant life is truly found in him. The audacity, right, of saying, I can, I'm going to go it my way. And yet the love of Jesus... And still calling us to his way. Saying, I hear in the words of Jesus, in the farewell discourse, not, not this dictator authority of do what I say, but more of a fatherly heart of love, just please do what I say. It is for your good. It is for your flourishing. And like a good father who just wants to see his children thrive, That's the heart of Jesus for us. That's why he wants us to obey his commands. As the creator of the universe, he knows how things work. And he's revealing to us how we ought to live for our flourishing, for abundant life. And so it's a joy to follow the ways of Jesus. And we should be able to say, like the psalmist, delight in your law I love your rules <laughs> because in them is joy he wants to give us joy the joy that is only found in him i think of it as like obedience to my dad throughout the years <laughs> my process of maturity Think of it as how we should be growing and maturing in our Christian faith, right? When I was in junior high, obedience was a chore, literally, right? It was like, (laughs) it was like doing chores. I'm like, this is stupid. I don't want to do this. I don't want to mow the lawn. I don't want to let the dog out. I don't want to do all this stuff, right? Like, ah. (laughs) It was annoying. I didn't see purpose in it. It was like rules for no reason is what it felt like when I was in junior high. What do I know, right? Looking back now, even at that time, I see what my dad was doing, right? He, he's put these rules in place so that I could thrive. The chores that he gives me, so I learn responsibility and how to work hard, which I'm going to need later in life. The rules about like, hey, be back on time at night was to keep me safe from my own stupidity Right, (laughs) like doing stupid stuff late at night. He had my best interests at heart. And now, as I've matured, (laughs) the rule when my dad gives me rules or tells me what to do, I'm like, "Thank you. (laughs) I appreciate it so much more," because he's just that of wisdom and knowledge that I would be a fool to not tap into. And we like all of us who have young kids, we're all hoping that our kids get to make that declaration one day. You don't see it yet, but as they mature, my prayers they will, right? Like There are days where I'll call my dad and ask him stuff. And like like how to fix something or a relational thing that's going on. And and we'll talk, and then he'll be like, yeah. He'll mention in passing, like, I just talked to your brother 20 minutes ago asking me how to do stuff too. Like, me and my brother both do the same thing. We're like, we're stuck, dad, help. Like, we call him all the time, right? And as we've matured, that's what we've come to learn, is the rules, the things that my dad has tried to teach me and put in place for me. And now the, the things that he tells me to do, like, say, fixing the snowblower, right? Stuff like that. Silly. When he tells me to do something, I would be a fool to not obey because he knows what he's talking about, and I don't. And so that's the same in our approach with God. Like when God gives us rules, he's the creator of the universe who loves us, and he wants us to thrive. And so these rules are for our good. And so when we obey them, it's like obeying a loving father who just wants what's best for us. And it's produced in us by love for Jesus. This is how we ought to think of the words of Jesus. Whether whether we're facing a global pandemic, we should go to Scripture and say, Jesus, what principles in your word will guide how I will live and the decisions that I make? Whether we're going through times of suffering and pain, we can go to his word and say, Lord, what what does your word teach about how I should be faithful to you and faithful to the will of God in the midst of times of trial? There's a lot there. <laughs> when we're going through relational turmoil, we should go to the words of Jesus and say, Jesus, how do I pursue reconciliation? Not just to get my way and win, but, but how do I pursue peace? How do I lay down my rights and privileges out of love for my neighbor, for my family member, for my friend, my coworker. How does the way of Jesus factor into these decisions? If he is your Lord, which I sure hope he is, because his way is the way to abundant life. This is how we will approach situations. What does Jesus have to say about it? What does Jesus have to say about my moral and ethical life? His commands aren't burdensome. They're for our good. They're for our thriving. So that we can pursue all that God has for us and be at peace with him. And so as we close, I want you to just take a moment and just pause, close your eyes, reflect. Reflect on the commands of scripture. Go through that process that I outlined a moment ago. If you're struggling to obey the words of Jesus, the teachings of Scripture as applying the words of God and Jesus to your life, explore your love for Him. And if that's a difficult concept to grasp, explore how you love the people sitting in this room next to you. Pray for the Spirit of God to produce this love for Jesus in you so that you'll see his commands are for you. then lastly before we close i just thought of this so sometimes it gets me in trouble when i just think of something and start throwing it out there in the middle of a sermon but let's start talking about obedience to god's rules like this more (laughs) please we've heard a lot of bad messages we've all heard a lot of bad christian teaching on rules and obedience Let's start talking about obeying the ways of Jesus as a response to the love of God, as a result of loving God, not to earn God's love in God's favor. We can't miss that because that is not the gospel. If we miss that, we miss the gospel. And I get it. Pragmatically, we want to do something that we think will work, so we try to scare people into doing the right thing. And it's out of good motives because we, we don't want them to experience negative consequences, right? I get that but let's start talking about it like this, that out of love for Jesus, we should obey him. And start talking about God's rules with our children, with our coworkers, with our friends as God's desire for us to thrive. This is a much more compelling message than do this or you burn, right? (laughs) That's what so many people tend to hear from the Christian faith. They make it moralistic. When that couldn't be further from the truth of the gospel, I don't know how people have got that message because it's so far away from the righteousness of Christ applied to you by God's grace and mercy and then we obey out of love for him. I I don't know how we got there, but so many people have gotten that impression. So we need to start talking about it differently like this and we need to, as Christians, get clear on these categories and theological thinking because these rules are God's way of protecting us so that we might thrive. So, Lord, would you just reveal through your spirit the truth, Jesus, of how we are to live, how we are to follow you. Spirit, produce love for you in us, God, and that love would lead us to want to obey you. And Jesus, help us to talk about this in conversations that represent the truth of your word, not just just to keep people in line but Lord to represent the truth of your word as you have outlined it in scripture and Lord help us to love you may your love be the foundation of our obedience so Lord we thank you and we praise you you are God worthy of worship and we thank you that you have revealed to us how we ought to live you've revealed the boundaries so that we might we might live in safety in our inner life in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing praises to our Savior before we close. Again, if you guys need prayer, there's prayer available in the back. Just head back there and pray.